scripture for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Before we read the word, let's pray together. Jesus, you are the eternal light, and your light in us gives glory to God the Father. Humble our hearts this morning and prepare us to hear your word. Guide Matt as he preaches, and let this all be for your glory. Praise be to Christ. Amen. Hear the word of God from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. This is a fun moment. Probably happens once a month where I just love and hate my sermon both at the same time. So, we'll see what happens. What Meg read uh, is known as the Sermon on the Mount in scriptures. Um, those of you that have read your Bible have seen that subheading. Um, what it begin, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount uh, teaching the beautiful attitudes of those who follow him. Humble, merciful, those who bring peace, those who refuse to bring conflict, those who are good neighbors. He'll expand after the text that we read to talk about the ability to flee sin, referenced here, but then in other ways, those uh, will be able to endure suffering in the world. Jesus will describe um, 
us growing up in good judgment and growing away from bad judgment. There are about 15 times the Bible commands judgment. Uh, about half of the time it says don't judge, half the time it does. It says judge, which leads us to use our minds to work that out a little bit. Um, of course, we are to judge wisdom and foolishness in terms of actions. Of course, we're not to judge someone as less than human. That's how I would kind of summarize the teachings on judgment. And what we're doing January into June, I guess suppose unless I change my mind, is we're using the Lord's Prayer to look at the rest of Matthew. And my hope is that all of our prayers are more energized because we know Jesus better from the book of Matthew. I was just talking with someone who loves the book of Matthew. Um, and as I shared a few weeks ago, it is not instinctively my favorite gospel. But the more that I... Uh, sit in it and read it and reread it and get used to how Jesus speaks in it, I'm becoming more and more fond of it. hope that doesn't distract you that it's, you know, I have favorite gospels or whatever. Like maybe I love every book in the Bible the same. That was your expectation. Sorry to let you down. So those categories that I went up with, that I just labeled to you using different words in the scripture, the categories that Jesus described in the beautiful attitudes, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, those are the things that we grow up in when we learn and practice the prayer that Jesus taught. Not the memorized version, though that's good. It's good to memorize things because then we remember them. But the expanded version where we take each of the six parts of the Lord's Prayer and we expand it in our world. Many of you know um, that some members of the church who moved away two years ago, tragedy this week, Rick and Terry Johnston. How do we pray for our friends who lost a child? We remember that God is their good father. And maybe that's as far as you get. That's as far as I could get after he texted me. Rick and Terry's father. And Ben's. We don't just pray for the comfort of it. Though it is comforting to say our father, at least it is to me, I hope that it is to you. We pray because we want to get better. And I know that's trite language and it sounds like self-help, but I literally wrote into my neat notes, you chickened out last week. Because I did. If I'm honest, oftentimes I want to feel better, but I don't necessarily want to get better. You know what I mean? I know that I could love better the people in my life, but I'm tired of learning the same lesson over and over again. Sometimes when I'm talking with you, I get the sense that you definitely want to feel better. Not sure if you want to get better. Friends, there is an opportunity for us to grow up in love of God and the people that he has put into our lives. And that is a move of our mind. It is a move of our emotions and will. It is a move of our very bodies. It's all of it. You're an integrated whole person 
that God is maturing even now. That's what happened when you trusted Christ with your life. After God pursued you in love, the Holy Spirit breathed life into your biologically alive but spiritually dead self. And now what the Holy Spirit's doing is maturing you in these ways. And when we engage in prayer, it integrates these things. I emailed someone on... um, Friday, I was a little bit irritated, which is the best way to deal with irritation is through email. It's not a person in the church. I don't know why you guys are laughing, or I do. And he emailed back and was like, okay. And I was like, whoa, we did it in email. Yay. And he texted me on Saturday and said, can we talk on the phone? And I was like, again, again, not someone in the church. And I called him and we talked for 12 minutes. And I was shaking mad. And I think probably 71% legitimate anger. My knees were shaking. I was about to get on the train to come back. I was in Philadelphia this week for Presbytery. And I was using my mind to talk with my emotions, to talk with my body. I was using prayer to sift through what happened and understand it as best I can in my limited ways. I was hoping that the woman who was sitting at the table with me in the cafe car of the Amtrak, thought I was cold, not angry. That's what prayer does. It helps us integrate all of these things, which involves releasing. Don't want to retaliate towards this person, teaching in the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. We don't want to be retaliatory people. We want to let go of that. That's what turn the other cheek means. And the way that we grow up, in part, is through prayer. Parents, this is one of the most significant things you will do with and for your children, is teach them to pray the Lord's Prayer in their own words. This is my version. Shared it before. I asked my daughter about it the other day, and she um, said that I used to put her on my back when she was little to do this. I got mad at her because I felt like she wasn't answering the question that I was asking. So then I got to repent to her. So we're getting to do all of these things at the same time. Forgive, right? I'm an excellent model of the Christian life. That was sarcastic. Some of you don't appreciate sarcasm. It's got to be challenging to have me as a pastor. Sorry. Dad in heaven, we think you're great. Please make our house like your kingdom. Give us everything we need. Forgive us and help us to forgive others. Protect us. And then I would say amen, and they would say right, and I would say yes, because that's what amen means. And if we don't teach them what it means, it's this weird religious word. If we teach them what it means, it confirms what we're asking. I really, really like Dallas Willard's version. Good father, always near. May your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us the things we need today and forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Jesus taught prayer which integrates 
the beautiful life. What's happening when we pray that is God is growing us in being poor in spirit. Chapter five, verse three. God is growing us in the ability to mourn in a world that would tell us to go to the beach when you're sad, find a way to get away from it. Jesus offers real life which teaches us to mourn, among other things, which actually makes joy more accessible in our lives. I don't want you to wallow in your grief either, which means to grieve it, let it flow through you. That's what we're being grown in when we learn to pray. That was an excellent pun I just made, by the way. Grown in. No? Not an excellent pun. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That is what we're grown in when we pray the Lord's Prayer. A right humility, and humility isn't thinking less of yourself, though it might involve thinking about yourself less. Humility, in the biblical sense, is being confident of who you are in an unarrogant way that's easy for others to receive. And it's what we're grown in. I still think that was a great pun in prayer. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we're grown in in prayer. And righteousness is not a cool word. The older I get, the more thankful I am that God tells me how to respond to him and how to respond to you people and how to treat myself. I'm so thankful. And in prayer, my interest in following him grows. And so does yours. He is such a gracious and generous God. He not only saves us, he guides us in how to treat him and one another and even ourselves. Prayer has power in the kingdom, which is invisible. And I'm alluding to something that I've heard preached on in a way that annoys me. I've heard preachers say something along the lines of, maybe I just got the impression, maybe they preached it excellently, and I misheard them. I know none of you ever mishear me, but sometimes people mishear pastors, and sometimes pastors say things wrong and get to say, you know what, I was wrong. That's happened twice in the last couple of months from sermons from years ago. Anyway, prayer has power in the kingdom. Though the kingdom is invisible, it is powerful and real. And sometimes when pastors are talking about what I'm talking about, they'll say, the point of prayer is to change you. No. I'm going to say 51 to 99% of the point of prayer is to change us. But that's not all that it is. That is not what Scripture teaches. Prayer has agency and power in the world. We are guarded from knowing exactly how and where God uses that power. Because our own minds, that would, that would make us either feel more powerful or resentful or doubt. But your, power, your prayers have power in the world. Otherwise, why would, Jesus to tell, why would Jesus tell us to pray for our enemies and our neighbors and ourselves and magistrates and noblemen and governors? I'm so thankful for the structure of the Lord's Prayer. How much of our prayer is supposed to be about God? A little bit of it. The first three parts are about adoration of him. Gan Lamott's book on this is, is exquisite. It's called Help, Thanks, Wow. That's not all there is to say about prayer, but she's a lovely writer, and this part is 
That part of the Lord's Prayer she captures well. How much are we supposed to pray about ourselves? Many of us would pray about ourselves first. Some of us would forget to pray about ourselves. On a certain kind of bad day, I forget that I need to pray for myself that I might grow up. I just pray for others. Jesus puts it right in the middle. Not the beginning, not all of it, not the end. How much do we pray about our family and our enemies and the warfare all around us? God gives us direction on that and grows us in it. We're doing the spiritual life when we pray the way that Jesus taught in that we're praising God, we're confessing sin to him, we're receiving grace and mercy from him in the, um, in the forgiveness that's included in the Lord's Prayer, we're receiving protection, and it's a, it's a confession not just of sin, but the other kind of confession in terms of what do we believe to be true. Do you realize that? Do you realize what's embedded in the Lord's Prayer in terms of what we're professing to believe? We believe that we have intimacy with God. Purchased through Jesus, received by the Holy Spirit, received by faith through the Holy Spirit's power, and mediated to us largely in prayer. Who is this God? He is holy. Does he care about justice? Yes. Today, that justice is largely mediated through the imperfect vessels of you and me. Will it always be that way? No. His justice will wash over the earth eventually. We would prefer sooner rather than later. He is a God who provides. He gives daily provision and grace. We are not only a forgiven, loved people, we offer that grace to others imperfectly and yet one of probably the most consistent things we get to do as Christians, not retaliate. It's part of the reason my phone call yesterday was only 12 minutes. I was real, 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 real tempted to retaliate. That's not Christian. So I said, let's just, let's just let this one go. He said, okay. Hung up. We are weak. Not all the time in all the ways but we are weak and in desperate need of help. He accepts us in our weakness, welcomes us, embraces us, strengthens us. There is warfare going on all around us, and he is entirely sovereign, and his opponent is not. And there is hope, friends, for yours is the kingdom, power, the glory. Jesus taught prayer which integrates the beautiful life which we receive by faith. The first move of your life with Christ was the Holy Spirit coming after you and pursuing you in love. And then your mind or your emotions were awakened perhaps through shame or an experience with God and you chose to trust him And now our longing is that our actions and our thoughts, our experiences are ever aligned with him. And by experience, I mean we long to actually experience what we believe about him to be true in worship and in daily life and in private worship. 
the Holy Spirit breathed real life into your biologically led, alive, biologically alive, but spiritually dead self. And now you receive that life in ever increasing measure and are matured by it in large part through prayer. We continue to read. I'm so, I'm so blessed as a pastor that I get to study this to try and help all of us understand it better. I am increasingly, increasingly falling in love with the teachings of Jesus because I'm reading Matthew over and over and over again. I would encourage you to do the same. We receive by faith and pray and expect healing. Like Jesus expected us to expect our prayers to matter in our own life. And what I mean by healing, when I say it, is an understanding in part of why what's happened to you has happened to you. And the ability to integrate that, not the ability. Healing is interpretation and integration of what's happened to you. Doesn't crush you, you can carry it around without collapsing. Jesus taught prayer which integrates the beautiful life and we receive by faith. Learn to pray these six parts. Learn to expand them for your life and circumstances. First about God, then about his holiness, then about the kingdom, which is the kingdom in the prayer is the, the area of the world, literally, where you have some influence and power. You have been given influence and power. You get up right now and storm out of the room, that would affect all of us. Please don't. You're asking God to make your influence and power as aligned with his as it possibly can be. And we ask for daily bread, provision. We request forgiveness and know that we receive it. We long to be people who forgive quickly. And we long for his protection. And we offer this to the world. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I've had hundreds of conversations over my life, probably thousands actually, with Christians saying that they don't think they're very good evangelists. Have you ever thought you're not a good evangelist? You're not good at telling people about your faith? Listen to this again. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You should be the salt of the earth and be really skilled at it. Nope, that's not what he said. You should be the light of the world. That's a good idea. Salt and light are taken for granted things in the world. Good fertilizer that make things taste good. In the ancient world, salt was used as a fertilizer. The most profound thing you can do with respect to evangelism is integrate the gospel in your life and then go about your business as a human being. That's the most profound way to share your, to give an account for the hope that is in you, Peter's description of evangelism, is to believe the gospel in an ever deeper way and then go be a human. I made one of the worst Airbnb decisions of my 45 years on this earth. 
And at 11.47 on Friday night, the owner of the Airbnb and I were sifting through all of the keys that she has probably ever had in her life. She had three coffee cans of keys trying to get back into my apartment. She was already up. I was trying to be so quiet, but couldn't get the door open because the key didn't work. Over that 20 minutes, where I, by the way, picked a lock successfully with a credit card. Didn't break my credit card. Achievement unlocked. I seriously, I was like, well, I always wondered if that would work. It did. During that 20 minutes, I learned a lot of things about my Airbnb host that I would not have learned had that not happened. And then what did I get to do? I shared with her the four spiritual laws. She came to fit. No, I was kind to her. It's not because the four spiritual laws don't matter. I just, I just mean sometimes we get it. Sorry, I had to go to a seminar. I didn't have to. I actually got up and walked out. <sighs> I need to give a few of you permission to say stick to your notes. Like just, just be like, just go back to your notes. <sighs> There's a church in our presbytery that's very into tactical sharing of the gospel. There's a way to do it, and it works all the time. And you can probably tell my, by my tone of voice what I think about that. I think the way that we share the gospel is befriend. That is either 99 or 100% of our evangelism is through friendship. If we're tactical and there's not love, I'm not sure that's good evangelism. They have wristbands for it too. I'm not a wristbandy guy. Too much? Get back to your notes. We do have something to offer the world, friends. I do want you to share it verbally. Sometimes people say, preach the gospel to all nations. If necessary, use words. And I like that because it is how we are in the world. It's also really arrogant to believe that we could so, so love someone without words that they wouldn't know about the living hope of the gospel of Jesus. It's both. What you have to offer the world is salt and light. It is the hope that is in you, as Peter says. It is the living gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it is offered most profoundly and effectively through friendship. But do not miss Jesus' words that you are the salt and the light of the earth and be encouraged by that. Jesus taught prayer which integrates the beautiful life we receive by faith and offer to the world. Imperfectly, and yet it's us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is how Paul says it, which is supposed to comfort and encourage and motivate us. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, always near. We praise and thank you for the intimacy we have because of Jesus. Please give us everything we need in this life to avoid sin and cling to you and ever increasingly hunger and thirst after righteousness so that we might glorify you, love the neighbors you've put into our life, 
Would you grow us up, Father, through prayer, through conviction from the Holy Spirit, through a better understanding of your word, through the ability to receive correction from one another. Father, we thank you for your fatherly care and ask that you help us receive it. Jesus, we praise and thank you for your work. Holy Spirit, we believe you are in us. Help us to sense your guidance and help in this life. Amen.